with stronger bones in her face. I can disappear in a room. She can't. Both of us have high cheekbones, but hers turn out like knobs. She smiles in the photograph with her mouth closed, her lips pressed a little to the side. In the interview room, Moretti sits down across from me, unhooking the button of his suit jacket with one hand. Are you tired? he asks. Yes. It's the shock. I nod. It's strange to be so tired and also so scared, as if my body is asleep but receiving electric jolts. Can I get you anything? he asks. I don't know what he means, and when I don't answer he brings me a tea that I don't drink. He hands me a navy sweatshirt and tracksuit bottoms. If you'd like to change. No, thank you. He talks for a few minutes about nothing. He has a cabin at Whitstable. It is beautiful, he says, at low tide. He makes me nervous, even while talking about the sea. He asks me to tell him what I saw when I first entered the house. I can hear my tongue lift from the bottom of my mouth with a click before every answer. He rubs at the back of his neck the weight of his hand, pushing his head down. Do you live with her? No, I live in London. Is it common for you to be there on a Friday afternoon? Yes, I often come up to visit. When was the last time you spoke to your sister? Last night, around ten. The sky has darkened, so I can see the pale, citrine squares of office lights across the road. And how did she sound? Like herself? Above his shoulder, one of the yellow tiles clicks off. I wonder if he thinks I did it. Doesn't seem likely, though, and my fear of it is distant, another depth charge, but one that barely reaches me. For a moment I wish I were being framed. Then what I felt now would be something else. Worry, outrage, righteousness. Other than this, which is nothing. Like waking in a field with no memory of how you got there. How long will this last? I ask. What? The shock? It depends. Maybe a few days. In an office across the street, a cleaning woman lifts the cord of a vacuum and shifts chairs out of her path. I'm sorry, he says. I know you must want to go home. Have you noticed anything weighing on Rachel recently? No. Her work, a little. Is there anyone you can think of who might want to harm Rachel? No. If she felt threatened, would she tell you? Yes. None of this is like her. I can just as easily see the other outcome. I can see Rachel, drenched in blood, sitting in this chair and patiently explaining to the inspector how she killed the man who attacked her. Did it take a long time? I ask. I don't know, he says, and I bow my head against the ringing. The woman who came up the drive with him opens the door. She has a soft, pouchy face and curling hair, pulled back into a knot. Alistair, she says. A word? When he returns, Moretti says, Did Rachel have a boyfriend? No. He asks me to write down the names of the men she dated in the last year or so. I print each letter neatly, starting with the most recent and going back sixteen years, to her first boyfriend, in Snaith, 
where we grew up. When I finish the list, I sit with my hands curled on the table in front of me, and Moretti stands near the door with his heavy square head bent to the paper. I watch to see if he recognizes any of the names from other cases, but his expression doesn't change. The first name, I say, Stephen Bailey. They almost got married two years ago. She still saw him sometimes. He lives in West Bay, Dorset. Was he ever violent toward her? No, Moretti nods. Stephen will still be the first person to eliminate. The detective leaves the room, and when he returns, his hands are empty. I think of the pub this afternoon, and the missing woman in Yorkshire. There's something else, I say. Rachel was attacked when she was seventeen. Attacked? Yes, the charge would have been grievous bodily harm. Did she know the assailant?